Well, we have uh, some things going on at the end of the service this morning, and so I, I want to just run through some announcements uh, a little bit today. First is an announcement of Flocks, and I, I've asked Mark Lambin to come and kind of give you a promo of uh, that ministry. Good morning. He's uh, encouraging just to keep it short, so I'll just keep it to 45 minutes or so. Um, we're going to be kicking off our flock group meetings. Uh, ours is going to begin next Sunday night and uh, will be led by Phil Gusky and hosted by us uh, in our home every other Sunday evening. And um, I want to just give a real quick promo on what's happening in the home fellowships or the home groups um, at Rock Valley Bible Church. I saw a lot of different definitions. There's a lot of things that have been written about what goes on in home fellowship groups. And one definition I came across, which I like, I'm going to borrow. Um, it says, the home groups or home fellowships are intentional efforts to create an atmosphere conducive for believers and non-believers to grow in their understanding and application of God's direction in their lives. And so what we're doing with the home fellowships is it's an intentional effort that we make as a body. It's part of our, our body life to get together for the purpose of growing in our understanding, as Paul would say, how are you doing How are you as far as growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's another aspect to that that's important, and that is the application. We hear great teaching on Sunday morning and, and what we need to do as a body is apply that teaching. How do we do that? And so we're going to do that in our home fellowships throughout this year is sit down and together in, in, the, in the privacy of a home setting and talk about application. How is this, what we learned this morning from the teaching, going to make a difference in our life? How are we going to apply it in our life? And so what we're going to do is we're going to accomplish that. In fact, what I did was I went through and did a real quick study of... How many times you see in the New Testament the words, the phrase, one another, one another, and, and, and how many times does that actually apply to each other? And I went through and, and read some of those, and it's fascinating. We see the, the term one another over 400 times just uh, throughout the Scriptures, and you see how important it is for us to connect to one another. And, and the reality is if you go through and you read those passages, you realize how important it is that, that we are one another focused and that we are looking to one another. In fact, I just want to highlight a couple passages real quick. If you go back to the, the book that we've just, we're going to finish studying, First Peter, uh, Peter 1.22, love one another. And then in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 8, it says, keep loving one another. And then in verse, four, or verse 9 of chapter 4, it says, show hospitality to one another. And then in verse 10 it says, serve one another. And in chapter 5 of 1 Peter it says, be humble towards one another, greet one another. In Hebrews 3.13 it says, exhort one another. It says, stir up one another to love and good works. That's the application of what it is that we learn. It says we're to encourage one another. We're to confess our sins to one another. We're to pray for one another. We're to have fellowship with one another, we're to teach and admonish one another. And it just goes on and on and on. So you get a sense when you look at this how important it is that we get together with one another for all of these things in mind. It's very important. We're going to go through difficult times as, Peter, as uh, Steve has been preaching through First Peter. 
And what you realize is that we really do need one another. We really do. It's important to get connected, to get into a setting. It's really an extension of what takes place here. But to get yourself into a setting where you can have that kind of accountability, have that kind of opportunity to share with one another. And so I've come up with four C's. So to alliterate this and, and to, to help you understand and remember, the four C's is, first of all, they're going to be Christ-centered. They're going to be Christ-centered. Everything about what we do at Rock Valley Bible Church is to focus on Jesus Christ. Focus on how, what he's done for us and how that makes a difference in our life. The next C is connecting. We need to encourage each other, admonish each other, build each other up. And you can only do that in a setting where you can connect and get intimate with one another and share with one another. The next C is confessing. This is the accountability part. And what we're going to do in our group is we're going to break up the men and the women and they're going to, we're going to go off on our separate ways in, in the home setting and we're going to have a time of accountability with one another. And this is where you get to ask the hard questions. This is where you get to ask the questions that you wouldn't necessarily want to ask in this kind of a setting. But we're going to bear with one another, we're going to pray with one another, and we're going to hold each other accountable. And then the last C is community. Reaching out, and we've been talking about this as we've been meeting as uh, lot group leaders, how can we reach out to our community? How can we apply what we're learning? How can we do the good works as it says in scriptures that we're to do as believers? And so we're going to talk about that as our flock groups. Each flock group is going to start looking, about, looking into and praying about what we can do as far as outreach into our community. So we have Christ-centered, we have connecting, confessing, and community. That's what we're going to try to accomplish in these small groups. And if you haven't been a part of these in the past, I'd really encourage you to do that. Get connected. Get plugged in somewhere. We have lots of different groups with lots of different uh, people involved, and one of those you ought to be able to fit into. So I'd encourage you, if you haven't done it in the past, to step out and, and uh, contact one of the, group, the flock leaders, myself, Phil, Darren Weeby, Steve, and, and the others, and, and get connected. I encourage you to do it. It's very, very important. Thank you. Great. Just one more announcement I want to give you attention here in the, the bulletin. We're, we're on here. Yeah, I think we are. Uh, the um, Hike for Life is this Saturday. And, uh, you know, that's something that historically we've been involved with at Rock Valley Bible Church. Uh, and I just say, you know, if, if you're not going to Hike for Life, that's, that's okay. Um, what are you doing to support the unborn? I mean, it's the biggest sin, I think, in our country. We're killing millions of babies. And who's standing up for it? Are you standing up for them? Your Hike for Life is just a simple way to do that. It's easy. There are some pledge forms in the back. If you want to just... Just write a check, give it to somebody, just help support that. That would be okay. Just the people there also, just give a communication of what's going on. And I would encourage many of you to be involved with that. It's a, it's a devastating sin, life for a nation, something we need to repent of and do everything we can um, to just support the unborn. So I just really want to encourage you in that. Also today we have a, a potluck uh, afterwards, Gordon Ruthie's 50th anniversary. We would encourage you to stay for that. Uh, I sent a special email, just really... Trying to beg you just to stay. It would be a great way to show love towards Gordian Ruthie. Just spend a little bit more time. So you'll hear more about that a little bit later. Well, I invite you to open your Bibles then to First uh, Peter. We've been away from this epistle for more than two months. Which is a, it's a long time. Uh, there have been reasons for that. But we've done some good things in the intermediate time. But uh, today we return to 1 Peter chapter 5, and I think over the next few weeks I'm going to be able to finish 
First uh, Peter chapter five. And my plan is then to pick up right after First Peter to go into Second Peter. I've uh, started my study on that book. I've recently memorized the book, and I'll uh, recite that for you when we start. Just really encourage you as well, just to start reading it and thinking about it as you go on. But today we're in First Peter chapter five, verses one through four. Set things in context, let me read them for you. Peter writes, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness nor yet as lording it over those allotted to you charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. These verses address the elders of the church. You can see it right there in verse 1. Therefore I exhort the elders among you. In verse 5, notice that Peter's um, focus will change. There he's going to address the younger men. And then in the middle of verse 5, it says, And all of you. And the exhortation is going to be that we close ourselves with humility. And the younger men, submit to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility. And therefore, verse 6 even, Therefore, everyone, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That's next week. But this week, he's not addressing everybody in general. He's addressing just the elders in the church. And in many ways, this text couldn't be more timely Life Our Church, we have an elder going out today and we have an elder coming in today. Gordy Bell's last Sunday with us is today. Gordy and Ruthie, uh, we'll miss you much. After church, we're going to have a, a reception for them. We're going to have a time to celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary, express our appreciation for the years of service given to Rock Valley Bible Church um, just as they leave us and leave our midst. So We have one elder going out. We have another coming in. Frank Yonke is, is coming in. Uh, many of you know Frank. Frank is on loan from Kishwaukee Bible Church. Uh, he's going to do what Titus says. In fact, I said a couple weeks ago I might start calling Frank Titus just to keep that on his mind. Titus 1.5, I uh, appointed you, left you in Crete. You might set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city. And Frank is going to really help with that, setting in order some things here that remain, helping appoint elders that he might return to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Many of you know Frank. I think maybe, maybe all of you do. Some of you may not. If you don't, today's a good opportunity to spend time with him. He'll be at the reception. Uh, you can uh, talk with him there. Uh, just spend an extended period of time with him. That'd be good. But our text this morning, some of the reason why we've delayed in being here two months, because I knew this day was coming and I wanted to make sure we hit First Peter chapter 5 on this day. It's an appropriate day for us to hear of what elders are, what their, their duties are. And uh, as this exhortation here is addressed to elders. It's probably directly applicable to me. I'm preaching to myself this morning. Uh, you might put a big mirror or sounding board. It's coming right back to me this morning. It's also addressed to Frank this morning. And uh, though, the majority, though these words aren't addressed to the majority of you in the congregation, it still may be applicable. You might be in different classes. I mean, one, you might be an elder. In another class, you might be as someone who's aspiring someday to be an elder. And if that's you, it's a good thing. First Timothy 3.1 uh, If any man aspires to the office of an overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. And I would encourage you in that work. And uh, as I preach this message, this, this might be a measuring rod for you a little bit. You say, it's, it's 
we see what Paul, Peter's telling the elders, is that something that resonates in my heart? Is that something that I want to do? Is that something that I have a, a desire for? Am I already doing this? Am I already shepherding my family? Am I already leading them spiritually? Am I with other men? Am I encouraging them? And do I see the impact of my life upon others as progressing them in the spiritual life? Because that, that kind of shows. You can just say, okay, now how, how, how am I doing? Am, am, I, am I doing the work of, of an elder? Is that something that's really on my heart? Because what you don't do is you don't say, okay, this person's an elder, and you just plop them in the work and say, okay, now you can start eldering. Uh, what happens is you see somebody who's got a gift for that. They've got an ability for that. They have a heart to that. And the people of the church can see that, and they can affirm that. And then at some point, then through the qualification process, they can be appointed as an elder of the church. Well, there's a third group among you this morning. Um, to all of you who are neither elders nor aspiring to be elders, and there is application for you this morning. As you hear what God requires of elders, I want you to ask yourselves questions like this. Am I helping the elders of Rock Valley Bible Church to do all that God calls them to do? Am I making their task difficult? Or am I making their task easy? Am I encouraging them in their duties or am I standing in the way of their duties? Am I a, a joy to them? Do I make their duties a delight? Or am I sorrow to them? Do I make myself available to the elders? Or do I make them come and find me? I, I mean, these are the kind of things you can ask yourself this morning. And, and I do have a scriptural basis for that. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why, why should you obey your leaders? Because they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And then the writer of the Hebrews continues and he says, And let them do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So you want to say, what's profitable for my soul? Is to do what helps the shepherds and overseers do their work with joy. That's good for you. And so you can ask these questions. Am I helping the elders, the pastors, doing these things with joy. There's something for all of us in this text. So primarily, it's, it's pointed to me. Counsel the shepherds, first point, comes in verse 1. Demonstrate humility. Demonstrate humility. This is a reminder to me. Steve, demonstrate humility. Frank, demonstrate humility. Future elders of Rock Valley Bible Church, demonstrate humility. As Peter begins to exhort his elders, it's interesting, I get this, because he doesn't pull rank here. He doesn't say, you need to obey me because of who I am. He doesn't say, I'm the great apostle Peter, listen to me. He doesn't pull rank, rather he gives three descriptions of himself which don't really point a lot of attention to his authority demanding that they obey him. It's just, I think it's an expression of his humility. You can look there in the first phrase. I exhort you as your fellow elder. That is, Peter identifies himself with the elders to whom he's writing. Not as a super elder, or not as the head elder, but one of you. I am part of you. I, I, he doesn't feel like he deserves special treatment. He's not saying that I'm the one that calls the shots here, guys. Everything goes through me. No, he's saying, listen, I'm one of you. And therefore, I believe he's demonstrating his humility. Now, he could have used his title at this point. He's not afraid of using his title. Chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He starts his second epistle, 
Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. So it's not that he's afraid of doing that, but I think that in the context of exhorting the elders, I think he demonstrates he understands leadership. He's saying to them, I'm a fellow elder. See, leadership isn't about having power to control the people around you. Rather, leadership is about being an example for others to follow. Leadership isn't about being the one in the boardroom who makes all the decisions and then let goes there. No, leadership is one that you're amidst everybody and you're part of everybody. And that's what Peter says. I'm a fellow elder. And there's something particularly encouraging about this that gives him the credibility. He says, as you seek to shepherd churches, I've been there, I've done that. I know the task is set before you. I know it's hardships. I know it's trials. I know it's discouragements. When a former athlete becomes a coach of an athletic team, he gains a certain bit of credibility because he's been there. When a union worker becomes a politician running for office, he gains a certain credibility among the union workers because he's been there and he's done that. And when a hockey mom is nominated as a vice presidential candidate, there's something within other hockey moms that resonate, right? John McCain's not stupid about things. That's what he's saying. He says, I'm a, I'm a fellow elder. There's a level of credibility. And, it, and I think that this year, it's not, he's not exalting himself. He's displaying humility. And I, I bring this point out in verse 1 here because that's where Peter's going. He's going in verse 5 towards humility. He's going in verse 6 towards humility. And I think he models humility first. So I'm just one among you I'm serving. His second description of himself, he says, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, certainly Peter saw Jesus suffer personally. We can think about all the different times. He saw Him suffer in His ministry. He saw Him suffer in the garden. He saw Him suffer upon the cross. He saw the sufferings after He rose from the dead. And that is true, but I think what Peter's talking about here more is than just I'm a, I saw His sufferings of Christ. He's one that bears witness to the sufferings of Christ. He's one that preaches Christ and Him crucified. He's one that preaches about the, the crucified Lord that we have, which is our hope. And so you say, why is it that Peter here speaks about being a witness of the sufferings of Christ, seeing Jesus suffer, proclaiming the sufferings of Jesus? Well, I think it's because all of 1 Peter is about suffering, right? What's, what, I forgot. I can't believe I forgot again. What's the theme of 1 Peter? Was it? Glory later. Thank you. Thank you. I just need to periodic reminders of that because I keep forgetting. Anyway, these people were experiencing great sufferings, Right? I mean, we just finished this section here in chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes among you. For your testing comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Listen, suffering is typical. It's going to take place. It's going to happen. And we saw even um, lots through chapter 4, 13, 14, 15. 16, 17, all this is talking about the suffering that's coming on. Verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. Right? Judgment's beginning with the household of God. If it begins with us first, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? It's with difficulty that the righteous are saved, is what he's saying, because we're going to go through these sufferings. Therefore, verse 19, those who suffer according to the will of God, what do you do? Entrust your souls to a faithful Creator. That's what you should do. And Peter himself says, therefore, I know the suffering context. And I know you leaders, perhaps in the midst of suffering, maybe are, are, are willing just to, to give it up and say it's too hard. He's saying, no, no, hang on. I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. I've tasted them. I've, I've uh, shared them with you all. And when we experience the sufferings, and when we know about sufferings, we need to do as Jesus, 
entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in doing what's right. So I think even here you can see some humility. It just says, I've witnessed the sufferings of Christ and the way to conquer the sufferings that you endure is by submitting yourself to God. I think he also mentions this about suffering because who suffers most when the church is persecuted? It's the leaders. I mean, as I read stories about the persecuted church, be in China or Russia or some Muslim country today, it's most often the leaders. Those are most vocal. You get the leader, you can control the people. Maybe you'll make them scared. And Peter says, I know a thing or two about sufferings. I experienced the sufferings of Christ and I can, I can give you counsel. And it's not, it's not arrogant counsel. It's just like, I've seen it. I've tasted it. I've watched. I've seen how Jesus Himself entrusted Himself to His faithful Creator in doing what is right. Chapter 3, verse 13 speaks, 18 speaks about that. No, that's not quite the verse. But Jesus, that's what Jesus did. He entrusted Himself to God. Also, this last one, a partaker of the glory that's to be revealed. This isn't arrogant. Again, this is, this is a humble thing. This is a, I'm going to partake of the glory, right? The sufferings of Christ I've seen, and here's the glory that is to follow. And it's not because of His great works. It's not because of His great righteousness. It's not because He's a great person who's earned it all. And anybody who's looking forward to a reward can say, I'm, I'm getting the reward. I'm, I'm going to be a partaker of the glory only because of what Christ has done for my soul. And that's what he's talking about here. He's expressing in humility. And so I just say that elders, elders, Steve, Frank, future elders, demonstrate humility. Demonstrate humility. Second, elders need to shepherd the sheep, verses 2 and 3. Shepherd the sheep. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. And not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. No other image gets at the heart of what it means to be an elder than the imagery of being a shepherd. Now, in our day and age, it's a bit foreign to us. We don't know what a shepherd is. Well, we kind of know. David, have you ever met a shepherd? No. You ever met Conrad? You ever know, met a shepherd? You kind of live out there in the wilderness a little bit on the farm. You ever met a shepherd? We don't. Now, I have met farmers who've raised sheep, but I would hardly call them shepherds. They've got a nice fenced-in pasture, and they just kind of do their thing. In some sense, they are. I've known teenagers who brought, um, brought their sheep to the fair. Well, I'm not quite sure they're shepherds. In the ancient world, shepherds were really common. They were despised folk. It's kind of like, oh, that's the lowest level job. You can do that. But they knew what shepherding was. I mean, the day, people in Peter's day knew how those with flocks live with them all day, every day, right there among the sheep. The shepherd lead his flock to green pastures. They might graze, get the grass. They might grow. A shepherd would lead his flock to water. It's time for a drink. Let's go down to the river. And leads them there and takes them there. The shepherd would be with his flock throughout the night. It was no accident that when the angels appeared to the shepherds by night, they were out in the fields with their flocks. They slept with the sheep. The shepherd will protect the flock from dangers such as lions or bears like David did or like wolves coming upon the flock. The shepherd doesn't flee. A shepherd stays there and fights for his flock. One of the sheep stray. The shepherd will leave the 99 and track down the one that stray. It needs to be brought back in the fold. Whenever special attention is needed, the shepherd provides the care. And that's the imagery he uses here 
for shepherding the flock of God. Now, obviously, Peter's not talking about real shepherds and real sheep. He's talking about people who shepherd the souls of people. And scripturally, this imagery of shepherding is used throughout the Old Testament. Like we read Ezekiel 34 today. All about shepherds. You can read more about it in Jeremiah 23 or Zechariah chapter 11. And talking about shepherds. So the people who are, who are versed in the Old Testament know this imagery. Completed, oftentimes spoken about um, shepherds. And Jesus Himself, is very interesting, used this imagery as well. If you want to, you can turn over to John 21. We're just going to be there real quickly. But here's Peter. He failed. He's coming back in his ministry in John 21, verse 15. <clears throat> they finished breakfast. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He's kind of looking out among the disciples. You've you got to love Jesus more than you love the disciples, more than you love other people. And Peter said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to them, Listen, Tend my sheep. And he said to him again, a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. What an appropriate thing it is if that's the command from our Lord to Peter that Peter would pass this on to other shepherds. You you need to be about the business of shepherding the sheep, elders. Sadly, when the Old Testament uses this metaphor, it's often condemning the shepherds of Israel like Ezekiel 34, feeding themselves, scattering the flock. Even Jesus Himself looked upon the people with sorrow and sadness and said, they're like sheep without a shepherd. But in the Old Testament, like we read today in Ezekiel 34, there's always hope. When the Scriptures speak about the worthless shepherds, they also describe a day in which the good shepherd would come in. You know, they're prophesying about Jesus, right? The greater David. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And you think about it, Jesus is the, the perfect shepherd. He's the one who is with his sheep. Matthew 28 Verse 20, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the edge of the age. Jesus is always with us. Jesus is the one who leads His flock. John 10:27. My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. Jesus is the one who provides food and drink for His flock. John 6:35. I'm the bread of life. He who comes to Me will not hunger, and he who believes in Me will never thirst. Jesus protects the flock. I give eternal life to My sheep. They'll never perish. No one will snatch them out of My hand. John 10.28 He cares for His flock right here in 1 Peter 5.7 casting all your anxiety on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. Our great shepherd as He says here even in verse 4 He's our chief shepherd. He is with the flock. He leads the flock. He feeds the flock. He protects the flock. He cares for the flock. Now in terms of His under-shepherds, elders of the church, it takes place in different ways. It takes place right here on Sunday morning. Preaching is leading the church, administrating the church, administrating services, administrating ministries. But even here this Sunday, singing songs which focus you upon the Savior. Give me Jesus. Uh, focusing beyond us to the chief shepherd who we need. Scripture reading, praying, always directing us there. 
Bible studies, flocks, small groups, just trying to accountability, just trying to lead people spiritually. It takes place through phone calls and visits and emails and meals together. The work that takes place is numerous. Counseling, giving advice, helping parents, encouraging children, answering questions, praying with others, rejoicing with those who rejoice. At good times, celebrations, graduations, weddings, and weeping with those who weep in the hospital and funerals. Guiding people through life. That's, that's the work of a shepherd. And from my experience, I'm telling you, the work is never done. Uh, I, um, I liked working as a computer guy in the world because you could finish your work and you go home and it's done. But with shepherding, there's always another phone call to make. There's always another note to write. There's always someone else to meet with. There's always another family to have over. There's always another study. There's always another teaching. There's always, it's, it's never done. And I would say it's a huge task. I've found it to be a difficult task. I know of my need to depend upon God to accomplish these things. I know of my failures as being a shepherd. I know ways I, I have not directed people to God. I know of ways in which I ha- haven't been with the sheep enough. I, I know of ways in which I've not led them enough. I know of ways I've not been a good enough example. So I just say pray for me. Pray for Frank. Pray for those who God will raise up in their midst. It's, it's a hard work. I'm encouraged by the words of Charles Jefferson, a pastor of a church in New York for over 40 years. I'm not sure, the 1700s, I'm not sure what he is, something like that, 1800s. He says, It is by no means easy for a young man to become a shepherd. And he ought not to be discouraged if he cannot become one in a day or a year. In order, he can be without difficulty. A reformer, he can be at once. In criticism of politics and society, he can flourish. He can do a flourishing business the first Sunday, but a shepherd can become only slowly and by patiently traveling the way of the cross. To pray for me, pray for elders. I want you to take notice of the next phrase here. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Among you. There's a sense here, an identified group of people which to shepherd. Here I want to address an issue that's an issue for, for many. I don't have all the answers, but one of the things about Rock Valley Bible Church over the years has been our lack of formal membership. Uh, in fact, when people come to church, they say, well, what about membership? Where do you have membership? I've heard you don't have membership. You know, it's a big question. And so I normally answer the question this way. Well, at this time, we don't have a formal membership at Rock Valley Bible Church. We've talked about it a bit. We've not implemented anything yet. And, and I say, you know what? I haven't found church membership in the Bible. It's not to say that it's wrong, but it is to say that there's nothing compelling that you have to have this formal church membership program to see who it is who's in and out of the church. Because mostly at Rock Valley Bible Church, the process happens pretty naturally. People come to church. They've attended a few Sundays. I, I normally approach them. I maybe have them for dinner at our house or dessert at our house, get to hear their testimonies, how they came to faith in Christ. We talk about the church, our history, where we're coming from, our beliefs, our vision, our ministries, what we're doing. And I encourage them just to, hey, get involved in the lives of the church. Come to flock, come to the studies, hang around after church because that's where you get to know people. And, 
And really, it's pretty clear who's part of Rock Valley Bible Church and who aren't. Um, you know, times when people leave the church, they, they clearly communicate, hey, we're leaving, we're not going to be here anymore, we're not going to be part of that group. And I pursue those. If they just leave, I pursue them and seek to talk with them and seek to, seek to just to figure out what's going on as people leave. Because it's clear whether they're in or out, even without a formal membership process. However, so I, I thought recent days about shepherding the church. Now, let's put that membership thing over here. I thought about a program to implement that that I've heard of other churches doing, that churches used to do more in the past that I've maybe failed with, is systematically visiting all those in the church. And uh, I've spoken with, spoke with another pastor recently who does this. He provides, they, they do elder visits to different families in the church. And as I, as I think about you, you know, there have been some homes that I've not been in some of your homes. I say, you know, a lot of you have been in my home, but there are some homes I've not been in. And I'd like to do that. And what he does, elders systematically go through the membership list, seeking to provide pastoral care and counsel for them and encouraging them. See how it is with their souls and to pray for them. And he says, they go out every other week, I think is what he says, hit maybe a house or two. You know, so he's working through the congregation slowly. But I, I thought about doing this. I've thought about implementing a strategy for that, just in an effort to be more intentional about shepherding the flock. Uh, I've thought about how that would be a help to us. It would give some intentionality. You would, you would feel some intentionality of that just to provide a, a base to touch base with that. But I thought about the membership in this. And, you know, in some sense, that's a commitment to the elders here to do something for you, to help you in that, to be actively in shepherding the flock. And, and maybe what would be required to help with that is some way for you to express your commitment to the local body, which is really what membership is, because you recognize, hey, I'm a Christian. And Christians need to be involved in a local church someplace. And I, I'm, this is where I, my commitment is, Rock Valley Bible Church. And I'm thinking about membership, have about that level of commitment. Say, this is where I am. I'm saved. I'm a believer. This is where I want to fellowship. This is where I want to be. And you say, great. You know what? If you're part of us, if you're in, we'll make a, we'll make a corresponding um, pledge to you that says we'll come and visit you regularly. Now, I know in saying that, that's a huge... It's a huge burden and responsibility among all the other things that come upon it. And yet it's a matter of prioritizing everything and, and saying to my mind, seeing this, I think that's a high priority. And I think it's something I'd like to see implemented. You know, maybe Frank Bianchi can help implement that a little bit. But there's a way, just a real practical application about shepherding the flock of God among you. Among you. So I'll just try to work through that over the weeks and months. You can pray for me. Let's move on to the next phrase in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. You can picture, right, the, the shepherd on a hill looking up over the sheep. He sees, he sees the flock and, and looking beyond the flock and looking for the dangers that's coming, looking for the, the green grass that's going around. And that's the picture even here of the work of elders. Elders provide oversight to the flock. It would be good at this point to point out the various names used in the Bible for these people who are called elders here. They're also here called shepherds, right? They shepherd the flock of God. That's the word we get pastor from. Shepherd, pasture, right? Shepherd, sheep goes to a pasture, pastor. A pastor is a shepherd. Elders are shepherds, are pastors. You might equally say this, I exhort the elders among you to pastor the flock of God. Third, their work is that of a, an overseer. He's exercising oversight. Also in the Bible, there's a term of elders used. It's called an overseer. 
those who, who look over, those who watch, episcopas, to scope out, scope upon, to look and survey the scene. So they're all the same. Elders, shepherds, pastors, overseers. Whenever you see one, they're all interchangeable terms used in all the Scripture. One of the places you see that is Acts chapter 20. Paul's talking with the elders of Ephesus. He's at Miletus. And uh, at the heart of his exhortation, he says to the elders, think about this now, be on guard for yourselves and also for the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Elders are given oversight so as to shepherd the church. That's what elders are. Elders, pastors, overseers. In fact, you see these words used interchangeably in Scripture. It's interesting, when Titus is given a list of the character qualifications for the elders in the church, the list is almost exactly identical to the list that, Tim, that Paul gives Timothy, but in Timothy he calls them overseers. He says, here are the overseers and here are the elders. Same thing. It's because all these names are given to the man in ministry. He's an elder and he's mature in the faith. He's a shepherd. He cares for the flock. He's an overseer in that he watches over the flock. Well, he gives then six warnings in verses 2 and 3. I want to trace through these warnings fairly quickly. You can see them there. Look what he says. Exercising over. Here's how you need exercise oversight. One, not under compulsion. Two, but voluntarily. Three, not for sordid gain. Four, with eagerness. Five, nor yes, lording it over those allotted to your charge. Six, proving to be examples to your flock. And I trust you see how these six warnings come in couplets. They say, not this way, but this way. Not this way, but this way. Not this way, but this way. Not under compulsion, but voluntarily. Not for sort of gain, but with eagerness. Not lording it, but showing yourself an example. So there are couplets here. I just want to look at each of these couplets together. First, the elders need to do their work, first of all, willingly. Not under compulsion, but voluntarily. This gets to the desires of an elder. There are many things that we can do in life from mere obligation. I go to work. Why? Because I have to. You want to go to work? I don't want to go to work. But you have to. Or you go hungry. So you, you do that. Many things we do out of obligation. Sometimes we clean the dishes. Do you have to clean the dishes? No, you don't. You can buy paper plates. We've gotten more into paper plates in recent past. It's been good. Just to help. I um, suppose you can do that, but you've got you to have something to eat from or drink from. You can't. You've got to wash the dishes. You have to pay your taxes. Obligation. Do you like paying your taxes? You don't like paying your taxes, but you've got to pay your taxes or spend some time in jail. You can do those all under obligation. An elder in a church isn't one of them that you should do under obligation. Being an elder under compulsion is a recipe for disaster because the work is hard, the, labor, the rewards are few, and the burden is great. But see, when there's a passion and desire, the work will flow willingly. <clears throat> I think the best way to illustrate this is to tell you a little bit about what happened to me when I was a, vice, when I was a sophomore in high school. Now, some of you have told this story to before, but um, I was 15 years old, sophomore in high school. Are we having any sophomores here? 15-year-old? Maybe. Mercedes, where is she? Is she 15, sophomore? She's helping. She's serving. You're, Gage, you're not 15 years old. You might want to be 15 years old, but you're not 15 years old. I was a sophomore in high school. And uh, we lived about a uh, quarter mile away from school, and I, so I could walk to school. Or normally, this was the case, I skateboarded to school. 
Okay? So I skateboard to school, and um, you know, it's a lot faster than walking. A lot more convenient than a bike. You just pick it up, put it in your locker, and you're good. Anyway, I, I digress. But I'm a sophomore in high school, and I live close by, so I'm going home for lunch every day. Now, <clears throat> there was a day when I went home from lunch and came back, and everyone's saying, congratulations, Steve, congratulations, Steve, congratulations. I'm like, congratulations for what? I just got back from lunch. I swallowed well. Is that what you're saying? And uh, I said, no, I had no idea what they were talking about. Soon I learned why I was receiving this congratulations. On that particular day, there were student council elections. And uh, at, my lu- at my lunch, my friends came up with the idea, hmm, I wonder if we can write in our candidate for uh, somebody rather than, you know, their candidate. And so they said, well, who should we write in? And so I looked around my friends, and uh, there was one person absent. He was off having his lunch, and uh, they said, ah, Steve, because he couldn't object to it. So my friends got together, and they did this grassroots, on the day of the election, this grassroots thing of talking about, hey, why don't you vote for Steve Brandon, vice president, student council of the sophomore class. And uh, so I come back, just unbeknownst to me, I'm elected. I'm the vice president. And uh, I, I remember distinctly in class, Mr. Doherty said, congratulations, he's running the elections. He said, would you like to serve? And, uh, sure, <laughs> I guess I'll do it. Well, you know what I found out that year? I didn't want to be involved in student council. <laughs> there was a reason why I wasn't on the student council as a junior or a senior. Right? Because that year, a lot of meetings, a lot of busy work, I was assigned responsibility that I didn't really want to have. The year was drudgery when it came to those things. Because it wasn't for me. I didn't have a heart in it. And yet so often, elders can be maybe appointed that don't have a heart in it. And that's a recipe for a disaster. That's why the nominating and voting process doesn't work for elders in the church. Because someone may well be nominated and like, oh, okay. I mean, because when I was doing this vice president thing, it's not like I was resisting it, but kind of looking back at it, I say, mm, you know, maybe that, maybe I shouldn't have been doing that. But I was, didn't desire it. But at Rock Valley Bible Church, we want elders who really want the job, who really desire to do it, who really have this passion to do it. So you say, how do you become an elder at Rock Valley Bible Church? First steps, come and talk to me, talk to Frank. And uh, we'll dialogue with you, evaluate your character, help give you some training you need, watch you, observe you. And, and I've been in conversation with others about this. Right, we're working. Frank's going to help finish that course. I've tried to put together some preliminary sketch about maybe a specific plan of, of doing things, and I need help with that. But that's how we do it. We need to make sure that the, the job is being done willingly. Second, elders must serve sacrificially. I get that in the next phrase. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. The idea here is the elder, pastor, shepherd shouldn't be in the work for what he gets out of it, the elder should be in the work realizing that it's going to cost him something. When Paul spoke with the elders at Miletus, he said, I, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I receive in Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. In other words, he says, my life is nothing. I've given it to the Lord. I'm going to serve Him with everything, even at great sacrifice to myself because I'm not counting my life as dear to myself. That's a perspective that an elder, overseer, pastor might have, must have. That when he's in this role as a pastor, it's, it's, not, um, it's not for what he can get. Rather, it's for what he can give. 
Now, sadly, it's not the case with many. There are many in the ministry here who are in it for what they can get out of it. When we get to Second Peter chapter 2, there are some things that talk about how some men are in the ministry for sexual favors, if you can believe that. Some ministers, some shepherds are in it for the money. Can you believe it? I think television's a good... <laughs> you can believe it. Many are in it for the power. Many are in it for the reputation. Many are in it for the boast of their ego. Those are all wrong reasons to be an elder of a church. The Pharisees of old were in the ministry for what they get out of it. You remember when Jesus rebuked them for loving to stand and pray in the synagogues. And on the street corners, they might be seen by men. Jesus rebuked them for attempting to take places of honor the banquets. They love being called rabbi and teacher and father. And he says, no, you're in it for yourself. You've received your reward in full. The shepherd of the flock shouldn't be in it for financial gain, shouldn't be in it for power, shouldn't be in it for himself. He should be in it for what he can give. Now, don't get me wrong, there's rewards in the work. But the reward doesn't come quite the way you expect. The, the ward, reward comes just like Christian service comes. I mean, we all in our Christian work, we're called to take up our cross daily and to follow Christ. And is there a blessing in that? Yes, there is a blessing in forsaking our life and giving our lives to Him. But the gain isn't financial. The gain isn't power. Rather, the gain is a blessing of God upon our life. Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And you'll receive back from God in different ways, but very much so to give you the joy to pursue your work. John Piper's comments are good. He speaks about this this whole sacrifice, willingly, sacrificially, says God loves a cheerful pastor. Peter does not admonish pastors to simply do their work come what may. Perseverance through the hard times is good. It's essential. But it's not all that's commanded of pastors. We're commanded to enjoy our work. The impulse should come gladly from within, not oppressively from without. Parental pressure, congregational expectations, fear of failure, or divine censure. These are not good motives for staying in the pastoral ministry. There should be an inner willingness. We should want to do the ministry. It should be our joy. Joy in the ministry is a duty, a light burden, and an easy yoke. That's what it's got to be for elders of the church. And you serve willingly, sacrificially, and thirdly, lovingly. Verse 3. Nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge. And there again, you see these are, are in your charge and they are allotted to you. They're given to you. They are the ones who said, I'm in, count me in. Don't lord it over these people, but rather prove to be examples to the flock. Now, Peter learned this lesson well. There was a discussion about the disciples, about who is the greatest. Jesus says, you know, John 10:42. you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and great men exercise authority over them. In other words, you see the way the world is. In the way of the business world, it's right there. Great business. Hard and forceful, strong, and lead with intimidation. And you work for them, not because you want to, but because you know that if you don't get it done, there's heat coming. You're either going to get axed, or you're going to get a cut in pay, or you're going to get a reprimand, or you're going to get something. That's the way the world leads. But Jesus says, Mark 10:43, it's not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first shall be slave of all. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Oh, the world may get their results, but it doesn't get results in the church. It's not God's way. God's way is a path of humility, a path of service, 
It's a path of proving yourself to be an example to the flock. Results in the church come when the leaders give themselves completely to the work. Laying down their own will and giving themselves to the people to shepherd. I mean, think about it. Isn't that how the church started in the first place? Jesus Christ. God Himself coming down and giving Himself for the people. He became our great model. He gave His life for us. He died that we might live. Elders are to do likewise. We are to lay our lives down for the sheep. We're not lords who just sit up here and tell people to do. If the truth be known, we're below the congregation. They're in the trenches serving among the people, demonstrating a love for the people. And that's when the church prospers, when the elders demonstrate themselves to be examples. The lives are such that people follow. Love to Christ is such that people want to imitate their faith. Families are such they want to have families like that. They are proving to be examples worthy of imitation. And that's what, what Paul said, be imitators of me just as I am of Christ. I just ask you this morning, how are you doing? Are you helping my job, helping Gordy's old job, Frank's job, future jobs? That we might do it willingly, sacrificially, lovingly. I know it's my heart. That's again the Hebrews 13, verse 15 passage. Right? Let them do this with joy, not with grief, for that would not be profitable to you. How are you doing? Well, quickly, our, our last point this morning. Elders are to demonstrate humility, shepherd the sheep, finally remember the reward. We just have a few minutes left. We come in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. It's interesting here, again, about how Peter focuses our attention upon our future. That is, beyond this life. We can endure the sufferings today because we know of the glory that is coming that will follow and that was Peter's idea way back in chapter 1. Right? You remember when he was describing this inheritance we have. It's imperishable and undefiled and unfading. It's reserved in heaven for you or protected by God's power. And then he says, in that, in that great salvation, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. Because the reward is so great, you can endure the trial today. And he's going to get that in chapter 5, verse 10. Again, this suffer now because the glory is coming later. After you have suffered for a little while... Verse 10, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now, what's true in one measure of all believers is true especially in this case for elders. Elders receiving this unfading crown of glory. But, you know, as you read through the New Testament, it's kind of difficult to know exactly what this is. When Paul talked about his anticipated reward, he said this, he says, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the course, I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, our righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, he says, I'm going to get this crown of righteousness, not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. The very thing that Paul was anticipating to receive was also going to be received by everyone else. And maybe that's the case here. We don't exactly know. But, but it is an, an encouragement to elders that this unfading crown of glory will be what it is. What is, I'm not sure. But there is some future reward of the work. And you need to remember the reward beyond this life to help press you on in your eldering capacities. 
One last observation as I close this morning. And I, I want to pull it here from verse 4, talking about the chief shepherd. He talks here about the chief shepherd. In this way, he puts all of the elders in their place. Because all shepherds of the church are what I might call under-shepherds. Because there is one chief shepherd of the church, and that's Jesus Christ. Really, in, if the truth were known, there's one senior pastor of Rock Valley Bible Church, and that's Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd. As the head of the church, He's the one who's ultimately shepherding the flock of God. It's His church. He's the one that purchased it. Elders here are merely instruments to do His will. And our hope in building the church isn't on the elders here. Rather, it's upon Him. Where the under-shepherds fail, the chief shepherd will succeed. He's the chief shepherd. And He's the one that helps us. He's the one that equips us. Hebrews 13, verse 20 says, Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, and it says, May He equip you in every good thing to do His work, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. And Lord, we pray to You, Jesus, the Chief Shepherd of the church. And I pray, God, You'd help us in these days to shepherd the flock of God among us. pray You'd raise up other elders. pray You'd help Frank in that process as he's here. pray for the aspiring elders that you might, you might help. Give them a heart and a passion for the work. pray for the congregation. May we all uh, make the job easy because we are a delight. We're around. We're serving. Joyful, growing Christ. Thankful and helped. God, I pray you'd help in these things. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'm going to have Frank and Gordy come up here. That's in many ways a symbolic gesture of all of us just to transfer a eldership from Gordy to, to Frank. I'm going to have Frank, why don't you just come and sit? Frank's a good friend of both of us. We've got to have some kids coming in. And I will just lay our hands on him and pray for him in that process. I know the, the kids are coming in. You should have them. Your eyes might be open. That's okay. You can pray with your eyes open too. Let's just let's pray. Lord, I would pray for Frank as he comes among us. I pray you'd help him to do the role of Titus we've talked about to help set in order what remains. And there's much here that needs to be set in order. I pray you'd help. Pray also that he helps us to appoint elders. Um, I pray you guide in that process. Help us to see and know. I pray that future elders would be like this, who would demonstrate humility, who would shepherd the sheep, and who would remember the reward. May they shepherd willingly and sacrificially and lovingly, Lord, for your glory. So help us in these things, God. We need your help. I pray you'd be with Frank to um, anoint him and help him and guide him as he helps lead this church. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. Where are you?